Thanks a lot. Now I have to talk. So turn with me to Mark, chapter 14. This will be the 19th message in our series through the book of Mark. And it will conclude the series. If you haven't been with us, that might sound a little odd because you might know there are 16 chapters in the book of Mark. And we're going to conclude with the first part of chapter 14. But what we did was back during the Easter season, we jumped from chapter 8 and covered the last part of 14 on through the end of the book so that we could see how Mark presented um, those events leading up to the crucifixion, the crucifixion itself, and then the wonderful resurrection. And so we've already covered the last part of chapter 14 and then 15 and 16. So that's why we're ending the series in chapter 14 with this passage. Before I pray and we look at it, uh, I want to invite you to do something Response is always good. Feedback is always good. It's valuable. It's encouraging. And so on the bottom of your study sheet, you'll notice there's an opportunity, if you would like, to just briefly write uh, something that you've learned or something that you believe has impacted you and will make a difference uh, in your life as we've gone through the book of Mark and studied about Jesus. Uh, if you would, if you could just jot that down and and you can choose to either tear that bottom off and drop it in the offering basket, or uh, if you prefer, you can email the church and uh, just give some feedback as to what God has taught you about Jesus and how it's impacted you these uh, months as we've looked at the book of Mark. Uh, That kind of feedback is really helpful, and it's really encouraging, uh, not only to us, but hey, it's valuable for you to think about it and put it in writing. And so it would be a good thing for you if you... Uh, accepted that invitation. But now let's pray and uh, wrap up the study. Our Father, we, we thank you. Thank you for this song that has, has set the, the tone for what we're going to see and will even help us, as we read these words, get a feel for what it might have been like when this happened. Father, guide us as we go through this. Thank you for all the things you've taught us. Thank you for how Jesus has been magnified in our eyes. Thank you for how he and his authority and power has been increased in our thinking. And Father, I pray that even as we see this last passage, that you would do a work in some of our lives today that would become important for years to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our passage today is chapter 14, verses 3 through 9. 3 through 9. I'm going to read it first. While Jesus was in Bethany, 
reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on Jesus' head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you. And you can help them anytime you want. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. I tell you the truth. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. It's interesting that uh, this account, which Jesus calls a beautiful thing, comes between verses about conspiracy and betrayal. Notice the two verses that come before our text. Verse 1. Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. So right before our text, right before this beautiful thing, as Jesus calls it, we learn of conspiracy. We're reminded of these religious leaders and how they have gotten to the point where they've had enough of Jesus. He has frustrated them. He has been a threat to them. He has even embarrassed them at times. And they've had enough. And so they're conspiring to arrest him and kill him. Notice, arrest and kill. They've already sentenced him in their minds. But they're going to wait because they know all these people are in Jerusalem for the Passover. And many of them are fond of Jesus. And if they do anything at this time, there could be a riot. People could be stirred up on behalf of Jesus. So they're conspiring, but they're going to wait until after Passover. But they've had enough. Jesus has been too much for them, really. They've tried everything, every trick in their book, and nothing has worked. You can see how frustrating that would be. When I was in eighth grade, I was on the high school baseball team. In fact, five of us eighth graders that year started on the high school baseball team. So five out of nine were us eighth graders. We didn't win a game that year. 
And most of our games were over with the 10-run rule. And it was frustrating. And it was embarrassing sometimes. We tried our hardest. We, you know, played hard. Tried to do the best we could, but we were no match for the other teams. And that's probably the way the religious leaders were feeling by this time. They were no match for Jesus. Everything they tried blew up in their faces. They were embarrassed in front of people. Jesus always said the last word. He was so wise. And so they're conspiring. Then when we go to the two verses after our text, we see betrayal. Verse 10, it says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, you see there was a mole in the group. His name was Judas Iscariot. It says, He went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Betrayal. Can you imagine how lucky these religious leaders were feeling at this point? They wanted to get rid of Jesus, but they're going to have to wait till after Passover. But then comes one of Jesus' disciples and offers basically to betray him. And it's like, wow, we don't have to wait. We can move up our plans. And we know they did with the help of of Judas. So it's just interesting that our text about something Jesus called a beautiful thing comes between conspiracy and betrayal. So let's look at our text. It says that Jesus is in Bethany. And we've learned the last weeks that during this Passover week, uh, he and the disciples would come into Jerusalem during the day, but they would go outside of Jerusalem to the little town of Bethany and spend the evenings there. So that's where they are. They're in Bethany, and they're at the home of a man named Simon the leper and having a meal. Uh, he couldn't be a leper at this time because he wouldn't be in his home. He would be out with other lepers somewhere, uh, separated. So maybe he's called Simon the leper because... He used to be a leper, and some people think maybe he even is a leper that Jesus had healed, and this is kind of an appreciation meal. He's having Jesus and his disciples in his home. But that's where Jesus is. And they're around the table, and they're, I would guess, having conversation and enjoying their meal. And in walks a woman. She walks in, and you have to try and imagine this. When the men, which probably was mostly men, if not all men, see this woman come walking into the room, their conversation probably stopped. And there were moments of silence. And the woman doesn't say anything, apparently. But she comes in, and she's carrying this jar this alabaster jar. And 
It says she breaks the jar. There probably was a, a narrow neck on this jar, and she breaks it off. So in the silence, as the men are watching this woman come in, you probably heard the snap of this jar as she broke it. And then you probably would have heard gasps by a number of these men as they watched her take this jar and begin to pour this very expensive perfume on Jesus' head. Now, there was a tradition in that day where when you had guests, sometimes you would uh, just uh, put a couple drops of perfume or something on their head as a way of welcoming them. Just a couple drops. She's pouring the entire jar full of perfume on Jesus' head. Picture it. Picture what the others are watching. This perfume is coming out of the jar onto Jesus' head, and it must have been flowing down even to his cheeks and, and onto the upper torso. I mean, she pours the entire jar of perfume on Jesus. We find out in the text, as we were reading, that this was very expensive. Um, in fact, they, they say when they're complaining that it was probably more than a year's wage worth of perfume. That's pretty expensive. My wife has no perfume that expensive. And probably none of you ladies do. Where it would cost over a year's wage. Here's an interesting little tidbit, okay? I went back to when Jesus fed the 5,000. You remember that? And when he... When he told the disciples to feed all the people, they said, we can't. We don't have enough money. And this is what they say. It would take eight months wages to buy enough food to feed these thousands of people. Now, think about that. Eight months wages to feed over 5,000 people. And this woman is pouring perfume that's worth over a year's wage on Jesus. No wonder the men there at the table complain. And they start criticizing her. And we see that in the text. <clears throat> They say, why this waste? She's wasting this expensive perfume. Could have been sold for more than a year's wages. The money given to the poor, aren't they righteous men? And so they rebuked her harshly. And I don't know how that affected the woman, if she kind of cowered back toward the corner or, you know, how she reacted to this sharp criticism and this rebuke. Uh, from the men there. But they criticize her. And then Jesus speaks up. Dear Jesus speaks up. And he says, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? 
she has done a beautiful thing to me. I want you to really grab on to this thought from this passage. What others called a waste, Jesus called a beautiful thing. Let that sink in. What others called a waste, Jesus called a beautiful thing. And then he goes on, and we find out that in Jesus' thinking, apparently, what this woman had done was very forward-looking for him. And I have to believe quite moving for Jesus because he makes the statement in verse 8, she did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Now, do you think the woman ahead of time as she was coming to this room, entering the room, was thinking about Jesus' burial and that she was going to be anointing him ahead of time for his burial. I don't know. I'm not sure she would have been thinking that. But you see, it got Jesus thinking that. Jesus knows he's about to die shortly. And it's almost like What this woman is doing causes him to begin to think about that. And he sees what she's doing as his body being anointed and prepared for his burial. I have to believe this was a moving time even for Jesus. What this woman was doing. It causes him to think forward. And whether she thought this is what she was doing or not, that's how Jesus looked at it. And then we have verse 9. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Guys, what this woman has done tonight to me in your presence will be talked about wherever the good news is presented in the world for ages to come. People will remember her. And the beautiful thing she has just done. And he was right, isn't he? I mean, look at us. 1988 years later, we're talking about this woman. We talk about Paul. We don't even talk about over half of the disciples much. We talk about a few of them. 
We talk about David. We talk about some of these Bible heroes. Jesus says, what she has done to me will be remembered and talked about for ages to come all over the world. And he was right. Why did she do it? We can't get into her head. The text doesn't tell us in detail. Uh, The song we heard kind of speculates perhaps why, and it probably comes really close. But I, I really think that this woman is doing what she did out of love, out of devotion, out of gratitude. To Jesus. And I think what she did shows us um, the impulse of love and gratitude. I don't think this woman spent a lot of time calculating and analyzing this whole thing before she came. Um, I think there was a window of opportunity. Jesus was there. He probably wouldn't be in this house around that table very long. And there was an opportunity. And whatever the story is, she loved him and was grateful to him. And she took this opportunity. And I think we see uh, the impulse of love and gratitude sometimes. In what she did, I think we see the boldness of love and gratitude. There had to be some boldness here. This had to be uncomfortable to walk into a room filled with men in that culture and do what she did in front of them. This took boldness. This took a willingness to risk, knowing she probably would be criticized, and she was. But it's like the love and the gratitude and the desire to express it made her bold. And she was willing to take that risk. What she did shows us the extravagance of love and gratitude. What she used to express her love and gratitude to Jesus, that was extravagant. The amount she used to express her love and gratitude, that was extravagant. But hey, sometimes love and gratitude leads you to the extravagant. In fact, that ties in with the next thing we learn from this woman's act we learn the sacrifice of love and gratitude. This was a sacrifice for her. This was expensive stuff. We don't know if she was able to afford this, that she had bought that. We don't know if it had been a gift to her at some time in the past, this tremendous gift. We don't know if it was maybe part of an inheritance that she had gotten. We do know that this was extremely 
expensive perfume. And she sacrificed it all to express love and gratitude to Jesus. It reminds me of uh, a situation in King David's life. Second uh, Samuel 24, David comes to uh, this place where a man has a, a threshing floor and, and David wants to build an altar and offer sacrifices to God. And the man who owns this knows who King David is. And he says, David, I will give you everything you need. I'll give you the threshing floor. I'll give you all the materials you need to build the altar. I'll give you the best of my animals to offer your sacrifice. And maybe you're familiar with the text, but David's response to this man is, now this is my paraphrase, he didn't say no way, but he said no way. He said, I will not offer to the Lord what costs me nothing. You catch that? I will not offer to the Lord what costs me nothing. And so he paid the man for the threshing floor. He paid him for all the materials to build the altar. He paid him for the best animals. Built his altar and offered his sacrifices to God. I will not offer to God what costs me nothing. The sacrifice of this woman to offer to Jesus as her expression of love and gratitude all of that expensive perfume. But you know, love and gratitude will do that. It really should. Love and gratitude to Jesus should lead sometimes to us being impulsive and taking that small window of opportunity to express our love and gratitude to Him. Sometimes it does call for boldness to express my love and, and gratitude to Jesus in ways that are uncomfortable for me. That I've never done before. It's risky. What will people think? Sometimes expressing love and gratitude to Jesus calls for the extravagant and sacrifice. So here's a question for you. And I'm going to read it so that I don't miss anything. Have you ever been prompted to do something that would communicate your love, devotion, and gratitude to Jesus Christ, but common sense, the fear of risk, or the busyness of life pushed the prompting aside and the window of opportunity to do a beautiful thing was missed? That's a long question, but it's an important question. As we think about what this woman did, can you, I can relate to that. My answer to the question is yes, many times. 
where you realize you have a window of opportunity to express your love and devotion and gratitude to Jesus. But because you took the time to consider common sense and to calculate and analyze. And you took the time to think about the risk and the scenario of what might happen and what people might say and what they might think. And you even allowed yourself to be reminded of how busy you are and everything that's going on. And because of that, the window closed. And you missed that opportunity to do a beautiful thing. What Jesus would call a beautiful thing. You know, and what, what's the beautiful thing? I, it could be, I don't know, just off the top of my head, maybe it could be using the gifts God's given you to serve. You know? It would be uncomfortable. It would be risky, you think. It would be all those things. And by the time you thought through all that, you missed the opportunity to do a beautiful thing, to use the gifts God gave you to serve people. Or you just found out that somebody had a need and you missed the opportunity to show love and devotion to Christ by showing love to them because you had to think it through and the window closed. And you miss the opportunity to do a beautiful thing. Maybe the beautiful thing is stepping up and being the leader in your family, guys. There's a moment in the history of your family where you had the chance to step up and be the leader. And you procrastinated and the window closed. And you missed doing a beautiful thing. Or maybe it was at work. You had this great opportunity to give an answer for the hope that's in you because of something a person said or a question they asked. But as you thought through the risk and all the what-ifs, the guy walks out of the room and you miss that window of opportunity to do a beautiful thing, to speak for Jesus. And we could go on, right? That window of opportunity to take a stand against the sin in your life and say no to it. But you talked yourself out of it and missed the beautiful opportunity to say no to it and get rid of it. And we can go on and on, but we're not going to. I would guess for all of us there have been times where we've had those opportunities to do the beautiful thing, to in some way express our love and devotion and gratitude to Jesus. But because of all this other stuff that comes into our mind, we miss the opportunity to do a beautiful thing. Well, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a few minutes to do a beautiful thing, if you choose. But first, I want to just kind of wrap up the series on Mark, a very quick couple-minute review. We've spent 19 weeks going through this book, seeing how Mark 
presents Jesus. And, and I've heard people comment that they've understood now that Mark presents Jesus uh, differently than the other gospel writers. And, uh, well, just let me read what's on your sheet there. It's also on the back of the CD albums where you can find the uh, recording of all the messages. I had to get that commercial in there. Uh, they'll be in the library. But on the back, on the teaser, I guess that's what you call it, right? Um, it says, as Jesus walked this earth, many asked, who is this man? They witnessed his power over nature, over sickness, over death, and the spirit world. They heard his teachings spoken with great authority. Then they found out that he had come to serve and give his life for others. Really? The one with all this power and authority came to serve and give his life for others? This was certainly no ordinary man. And that's how Mark presents Jesus. No ordinary man. And that's why, as we saw during the Easter season, at the foot of the cross, once Jesus breathed his last, the Roman centurion said, certainly this was the Son of God. No ordinary man. And so that's what we've learned, what has been presented to us by Mark concerning the life and ministry of Jesus. And it has gone along perfectly with our theme for 2021. He must increase. Jesus must increase. He must be magnified. We must exalt him. And for 19 weeks, we have done that because we've looked at Jesus week after week after week. I hope he has increased in your thinking, in your view of him. I hope that you have a greater desire to exalt him. That maybe even your love, your devotion, and your gratitude to him has increased as we've studied uh, the book of Mark. And, of course, don't forget Jesus' message in the book of Mark. He said, repent and believe the gospel. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. That was his message. So, what we're going to do before we sing a last song to conclude this series is I'm going to invite some of you to do a beautiful thing, okay? And uh, some of you probably have never done this, and so it could take boldness if you chose to do it. It, uh, it could be risky. I, I don't know. But here's a little window of opportunity for you. If right now in your life you have this love and devotion for Jesus and your gratitude toward him, is at a level it hasn't been for a long time. And maybe it's because of this series. Maybe it's not. But that's you right now. I would like you to just get up from your seat and come and stand across here with me. Or we'll give you room if you want to really do a beautiful thing and kneel on the first step here. But I'd like whoever would choose to, to come and do this beautiful thing and to publicly by coming say, I love Jesus, 
I am devoted to him. I am so grateful to him for what he's done in my life. And then we're just going to pray. We're going to express together. Uh, I'm going to lead us in a prayer, uh, expressing our love and devotion and gratitude to Jesus. So, you know, we're not going to do just as I am. We're not going to do any of that. I'm just going to say, if, if you want to do this thing that could be a beautiful thing for you and for Jesus, just come on up right now. I'm not going to wait too long. So just come up all the way across here. Just stand or kneel, whatever you need to do. And I'm going to pray. Let's express our love and our devotion and our gratitude to Jesus. Father, we have just spent 19 weeks looking at and thinking about your son, Jesus. And we have learned so much. He was no ordinary man. The authority, the power, and yet willing to come and serve and give his life for us. And Father, thank you for the salvation that we've experienced and the presence of Jesus in our life and the work of Jesus in our life since that day when we trusted him for our salvation. And Father, uh, these who are up here have done a beautiful thing. They've taken a step just to express their love and their devotion and their gratitude to Jesus. And so, Father, we just say we love you. Jesus, we trust you. We are devoted to you. We want to be faithful to you. We are so grateful to you for what you have done in our life. And Father, help us for the rest of our lives to be willing when those windows of opportunity open to do what maybe the world would say is a waste, is foolish, but to do the things that you would call a beautiful thing expressions of love and devotion to you. That's what we want our lives to be, expressions of love and devotion to you. So, Father, receive our love, receive our devotion, receive our gratitude. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come. If, if you want to stay up here and actually sing the last song up here, that's fine. Or you can go back and stand with the rest of the congregation. But let's uh, express love and devotion through this last song to Jesus.